as we continue on in our lives, our spiritual lives, and making use of the opportunities like we have this morning to gather together and worship Him. I, to extend a welcome to any visitors that are here, that you can continue to seek and worship the Lord with us. And as you know, we've been studying from the book of Revelation. We're going to continue that again. I really don't know if many of you look ahead. Um, you know what's coming. We're going through the chapters. And I wouldn't doubt that chapter 13 is probably one of the... Um, we're, we're studying 12 and 13 today, but the end of chapter 13 is probably one that uh, a lot of us have... Um, questions about as it talks about the mark of the beast and the number and as we hear of uh, you know 666 you know what all that means and there's a lot that could be said we're going to back up to chapter 12 and just I would like to read the chapter and make a few comments about it I don't have a whole lot I am always encouraged as I read and I reread and I reread and <clears throat> there's just something about when you read the scripture the scripture the truth slowly comes through rather than our own ways of thinking um, that counteract it and I, I just find a, a security and a comfort in that when we read and reread the scripture that's there and so maybe you have read chapter 12 and 13 and um, as we yeah, continue looking at Revelation, but if not, I do want to read it here this morning, and we will see what we can um, what we can learn. Uh, I did fail to uh, mention something here that I heard last Sunday. There was a few of you that commented about it, and I know it's a little bit of a bunny trail, but Acts chapter one. You don't have to turn to it uh, in verse. Eight reads about, and some of you might recognize what's coming. It says, uh, actually, verses six to eight. We'll just get it in the context here. When um, the beginning of the book of Acts, it says, um, "When they therefore were come together, they ask of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel?" And he said unto them, "It is not for you to know the times or the seasons." which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses both unto me, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I just wanted to make sure that you know that that doesn't mean we just ignore the book of Revelation because it says here it's not to know the times and the seasons. If you think about this, it makes sense. We are not to know exactly when the timing of the things of the end are going to take place. That is not for us to know. And that's what the book of Revelation tries to do for us. It doesn't give us the exact uh, time schedule, if you want to say. I, people put it out there. They say, yep, this happens here, here, here. I'm not um, 
I don't know if you'd say studied up or able to do that. I, I see it more of us having the prophecy that's coming and it's for our own benefit and our good that we can face it in faith and in trust that we, we know a little bit what's coming, but it's not the times and the seasons. And I uh, just wanted to put that out there because, you know, the comments about that made me think, well, maybe I should just stop in Revelation and go on to something else. And I can't do that. If you remember the first part in Revelation that says about blessed is he that readeth and that knows the prophecies that are going to be written, the things that John wrote down. And so... Just so you know, I'm not trying to put the timeline out there of the end. We don't know when all that is. But we do take what John wrote, and we are able to take it and use it for our benefit in our Christian lives. And so now you may turn to chapter 12 in Revelation, beginning at the beginning of the chapter here. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed, clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God night, day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of 
his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth, and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, I was at Millmont, and I um, preached on just a an overview of spiritual warfare. I didn't get into a lot of details, but just the, the revealing of it, and I had a couple R words that went with it. And this is one where we the, the war is revealed. Uh, this whole chapter, just the summary of it, is conflict. And as we look at a little bit who it is and what, we um, get a better idea, you know, of of what all is taking place in, in a general, in a large sense. And in verse 1, we begin with a woman clothed with the sun and her moon and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. This, from all studies and general consensus, um, is the, the nation of Israel, as we think of in Bible times. Um, and even recently I heard of a... a um, my uh, brother-in-law preaching about the lineage of Jesus and where it came from, all those, how it went back through all the people, you know. Um, and here it talks about this woman giving birth to a man-child. And so the nation of Israel um, is who the woman is. And I don't know who the moon is under her feet, but she has control. She has authority there of the moon. And it says upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And if you remember, I I get a little picky when I see the word crown because it can be two different kinds. And this crown is is referring to that one of um, of victory, that that garland that they put around, uh, you know, somebody that wins something. And it's not the, the diadem of a crown of you know, glory and worth in a position of authority. It's simply just a a crown of victory um, that's referring to here. But it talks about the 12, um, upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. And, and that's easy, they say, and to, you know, refer to the 12 tribes of Israel. And it pretty well makes sense. And verse 2, she is ready to be delivered. And in verse 3, there appeared another wonder in heaven, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. Now, we just talked about crowns. Now, this is not one of victory. This is actually one of a authority that you would worship. You would, um, you know, you would, phrase comes to mind where you cast your crowns before somebody like they are... um, and even though it is Satan, even though it is the enemy, it still uses a diadem, uh, you know, where you would um, worship somebody, you know, it's worth something. Even though we don't see it that way, the scripture does use diadem there. And I don't understand the seven heads and you have ten horns and then seven crowns upon his heads. Um, that's where you could get a lot of interesting interpretations there. I don't know what all those are. But nonetheless, that's the image of this dragon that appears in heaven. 
And in verse 4, it says, His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And I know some of you enjoy studying into things, and some of you don't, but um, it'd be interesting to hear your comments, what you think these uh, third part of the stars of heaven are. Um, all that I can tell in studying and what people say, um, there has to be a certain amount of angels that follow after Satan, that were cast out of heaven with him. And um, we talk about fallen angels. I, I think that would fit uh, there pretty good. It says they were cast to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman you know, to devour this child as soon as it was born. In verse 5, it says, She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And we just had Christmas not too long ago, and you think about the importance and the, you know, that right here in, in verse 5, that's Christmas. Just in a simple phrase, she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Just one little phrase out of this whole picture. But it says her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. I... Um, I originally thought that was when, uh, you know, the wise men came and they asked Herod, where's this king? And Herod got in a rage. He said, you go find him and you bring word to me so I can worship him. And the wise men uh, went a different way because God told them. And Herod was angry and he killed all of them. And I thought that was maybe what, uh, you know, the child was caught up unto God and to his throne. But then uh, in reading uh, some of the resources, they said, well, this may, might, necess might not be uh, that as much as Jesus doing his work here on earth and then his ascension back up to heaven. And I could say that would also make sense. I, I can't say for sure that's exactly one thing. But nonetheless, the child was caught back, was caught up to God, was not devoured by the dragon, and it says, and then the woman fled in, in verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there uh, 1260 days. Um, there again, I don't know what all that is. But it is interesting to note that the only two times the phrase a thousand two hundred and three score days was used just in the last chapter um, in 11. I'm not sure if I have it right here in front of me or not. But in chapter 11, it gave that exact same phrase. Yeah, in chapter 11, verse 3, a thousand, two hundred, and three score days. That's the only two times in Revelation where that exact wording is used. And I'm not sure the comparison's there, but that is, um, that's just the way it's given. Now we switch a little bit into verse 7 when it talks about there was war in heaven. How are we as physical people supposed to understand what happens in, in the heavens, in the spiritual realm? But it says Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Verse 8, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. Even in verse 9 there, we see that Satan, the old, the old serpent called the devil, and Satan was deceiving the world, was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. There's some questions there that come. I talked about any of you that like to study or look into that. Um, 
one of my questions is, and I know it's a little bit off track, but you know, when was Satan cast out of heaven? And and the questions that come up, you know, was how could he uh, come before in the presence of God and and talk about Job in the Old Testament? Um, how can Satan be in the presence of God and cast out as he did when he deceived Eve way back in the in the beginning? I I think Satan was already. Um, had done something wrong and was, uh, you know, obviously at enmity, uh, at conflict with God. They were there was war there already, and so, you, you know, for for um, Satan to come again in the presence of God in chapter in in the book of Job, um, you know, when all when all and how all that does, um, that would be the question for you. Um, was Satan cast out of heaven more than one time? Or was it in some kind of degrees that he, uh, you know, he could come back to God, but just only in certain terms or how it was um, interesting for me to think about that. But anyway, he was cast out. That is in verse 9. And then in verse 10 to 12, it summarized a little bit of what took place as they think of this Satan was cast out of heaven and his angels it talks about the now is salvation come. You know, this loud voice was proclaiming these things. And it talks about the, um, it gives a little bit of the idea of what Satan did when he was in the presence of God. It talks about uh, at the end of it, the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. It's a little bit of into, you can kind of see what is taking place in the spiritual um, realm there. But they are rejoicing that, that he was cast down and that we, in verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. It's just, in, the, in reflecting back on one of the phrases I used when I preached at Milmont, that like the spiritual warfare that's out there, where does that take place at? And as I studied it, it just comes to that we, the human body, is where the battleground is of spiritual warfare. It's not in a building. It's not in the creation of God in the, um, you know, the, uh, the other things besides mankind, but in us as spiritual and physical beings. We... Or where the war takes place. And it's hard to comprehend that. How? But we know it. We, we, we deal with things in our lives where we're, we're fighting something and we're, we're battling. And that is, um, that is where I think the war happens. But anyway, uh, getting track, off track again. It talks in verse 12 about um, rejoice ye heavens that dwell in them. And we would rejoice if we knew Satan was gone, never to come back. Now, I, you know, assuming there that ye heavens that dwell in them can rejoice. But it says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. You know, what's, what's he going to do? He's going to come after you and I with great wrath. And I think that's a little bit that, like, where the battle is taking place. It's in people. And we have choices. We can choose. 
like we heard in our Sunday school lesson. Wisdom, it's there. God's provisions are there. And yet, it's, it's, there's war, there's conflict, there's a struggle within us at times, depending on our situation, what we're faced with. There's a phrase there at the end of 11 that says, and they love not their lives unto the death. Um, one of my resources says, their non-attachment to life was carried to the extent of being ready to die for their faith. It's just a little bit different way of, of saying what that all means there. Um, as we think of people who have died, died for their faith. And then in 13... We begin a little bit of a different um, setting there again. It says, And when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. And I'm not really sure um, how all that is. I mean, you could, you could probably fit a lot of things in there. But if you take Israel in the past, you know, as God had these chosen people and, and his son was born in that group of people, um, the dragon is going to persecute those people. And that is uh, what I read here. And, and as I look at the word persecute, that brings out a little bit more of this war that's going on. When you think of, or the definition of that word um, having to do with, and some of us know what it is to go hunting, but this this dragon is hunting this woman and it makes it feel a little more real because we know what it's like to go hunt something and that is what the dragon is doing it is hunting after the woman it is pursuing the woman and that's what I call Israel today, not necessarily the nation of Israel today, but I call Israel today, or in different terms, it's, it's God's people now. That is who he is after. But in 14, even down through um, 15, 16, I don't know what all this is. You could probably maybe come up with something. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. She flew to the wilderness. She was there for, and it gives about it for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. I can say I don't know what all that may be. But I see here, and continuing on, 15, with the flood that the, the serpent, and note that it changes the word from you had dragon, but now all of a sudden you have serpent. And I don't think there's much of a significance there. It's just different forms that Satan comes through. As we know, um, different words that we talk about but here it says the serpent and it cast a flood of water after the woman and it says the earth helped that out it swallowed up the water and the woman was not able to be swept away and when the dragon saw that in verse 17 it says he was wroth it uses that word wroth again um, actually it was wrath I guess and having great wrath here it says the dragon was wroth he was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's why I say you keep, today you can't really use the word Israel because he's not necessarily fighting against Israel anymore. The dragon is wroth. He is enraged and he is at war against 
any of you that are the remnant of her seed. Now, that could be physically, but I take it spiritually. Jesus Christ came, the new life that he gives that we can partake of, but it also says, which keep the commandments of God and that have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That is where the war's at. And I'll uh, continue on as we go in here into 13. I know time keeps getting away. We're going to read chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed, and he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore, and six. So if we back up here a few things as we just go down through the verses. You see a beast come out of the sea, and it has the same configuration as the great red dragon. 
with the ten upon uh, having seven heads and ten horns and the ten crowns. But here it says, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. It adds that part about blasphemy to it. And it, it says this beast came uh, out of the sea. And it, in verse 2 it says, he, uh, it, what he saw, it was like a leopard, feet like a bear, and mouth as of a lion. And the dragon gave this beast his power. He gave him his seat or his throne and, he, and gave him great authority. And in verse 3, it says, I saw as one of his heads as it were wounded to death and it was healed. Um, there was apparently something that took place there. And I don't know if that is way back at the um, when God told the serpent about... Um, I don't have the words about either bruising his head or his heel. I don't have the words. But one of them um, came to mind. And anyway, the world wondered because this wound had healed. And, the, and so the, the world was, was wondering about this beast that come out of the sea. Um, and in verse 4, they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast. And they said, who can make war? Like, who can, who can go against um, the dragon? It says, who's able to make war with him? And continuing um, down through these verses, it just reveals a little bit more. And if anything, just keep in mind as we get to the last part, because this all kind of fits together, I think, um, as far as the mark of the beast. Um so in verse 4, you have, they were worshiping him. You know, who can make war against him? Verse 5, there was given unto him a, a mouth speaking great things. Power was given to him to continue 40 and 2 months. And just a side note, that's the same as 1260 days or three and a half years, but it just calls it 40 and 2 months. I don't know the reason why, but that's what it is. And with his uh, ability to speak, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. This is in verse 6. To blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. This is talking about God. Against God. To blaspheme God's name, God's tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. That is how aggressive the beast is in his blasphemies. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And it talks about the power over the kindreds, tongues, and nations. This is, a, this is definitely a widespread thing upon all. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship, worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And I was a little confused at that um, phrase and wording in verse 8, but it made sense a couple other translations and looking at it what the intent here is is that and we studied it back in one of the other chapters that the book of the life of the lamb so you have the book of life but the somehow the lamb that was worthy to take the book we're not guaranteed that that's the the uh, book of life but I take from it that that book was started at the foundation of the world, the beginning of the world, when God started putting names in there. Um, 
and that this the same book that the lamb was able to take and the lamb, your name can either be put in there taken out however that works but we know that it says here that whose names are not written in that book they're the ones that are worshiping the beast and if any of you in verse 9 have an ear let him hear Jesus spoke that numerous times and John spoke it when he talked about the churches if you have an ear let him hear Verse 10 just says about leading into captivity. Whoever does that is going to end up doing that's going to happen to them themselves. And he that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. It says here is the patience and faith of the saints. I take a little comfort in this that we can let it in the hands of God. When he will one day, as it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And as non-resistant Christians, we don't take hostages or take people into captivity and we don't kill with the sword. But we would really, really want to, you know, as the flesh wants that. But it says, here is patience and the faith of the saints. That they are going to wait and they are going to let God do the punishing. I think that's where we need to be as Christians. We need to let it in the hands of God. We need to be patient and to have faith. And then verse 11, And I beheld another beast coming up, but it says this one's out of the earth. So you had one come out of the sea and one come out of the earth significance of that just different people groups maybe not sure and he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon and in verse 12 he basically um, has all the power of the the first beast and he causes all them that dwell therein to worship the first beast who had that wound that healed but in 13 it says this second beast, he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven in the sight of men. So you see the deception starting to take place. You see in 14 it says, And deceived and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles that he had power to do in the sight of the beast. So the second beast does things in the sight of the first beast. And, they, and the second beast says, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that you should make an image to the first beast. Set up an image so you can worship it. And uh, it's the image that had the, it says there in the end of 14, that had the wound by the sword and then did live. It's the one that was healed. And so apparently they did, and it says in 15, he had power to give life unto the image. So the second beast that told the people to make an image, he turns around and gives enough power so that this image that's made can speak. And then for any of you that would be able to help me out, verse 15 causes some difficulty for me because it says, and it's a technical thing I know, but it's somewhat of, you know, enjoying and studying the word of God that we have. And maybe they're put in there so that we do that. But in, the, in verse 15, it says, 
that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, all I'm doing is raising the question of, was the image, number one, it was able to talk, but number two, was it able to cause um, all that wouldn't worship the image to be killed? And it could be both ways. I tend to take it that it wasn't the image. Yes, the image could speak, but it was the second beast that caused anybody to be killed that didn't want to worship that image. And so if I have you confused, don't worry about it. Just ignore it. 16, and he, not exactly sure again who the he is, but I think it's the second beast. He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And 18 says, pay attention, the number is 666. Now, I know I went through that pretty fast, but um, what, I, what I was blessed with and took from this is, is that you don't have to be so worried about the number 666. You have to be worried about who you're worshiping. And I don't think we need to be worship. We know who we worship. But it also um, is for our benefit to see how this is going to come about, at least in a vague way as we see this. Now, I don't know if I can quite get it right, but there is, um, and these are some things I, I just kind of pulled out in my own of like things that I learned from it um, about the the three okay you had the dragon then you had the first beast then you had the second beast we know of reading in other places i go to the other verse later on revelation we'll we'll get to it but you have the um the beast and the false prophet coming in there and it was like well who is that well it it actually is um the first beast is what they call the beast, but the second beast is what we call the false prophet, and that's confirmed later on uh, in Revelation. We'll get to it. But it helps understand who they are, and it'll probably be, you know, everyone assumes and about has to be some for power here on earth that these men um, are able to do this. They're, they're given power from the dragon to set up an image, the power to make it speak, they can do all these things, and that the world just goes following after it. And I see the part of the mark of the beast as the make it or break it. It's like, here's this thing gone, and, and the, the um, greediness, if you want to say, that Satan, the dragon, wants everybody to worship this, he's going to sort out who is or who isn't going to worship this beast, this image. And if you worship it, we're going to put a mark on you. And if you don't worship it, you're going to be killed. Now I say worship because that's in verse 15. The end of verse 15 talks about that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And that to me kind of shifts it off of this, you know, is it going to be some kind of mark or stamp in there well i don't know if that really matters the point is they're giving that to you because you do not worship the beast i mean they give it to you saying you did and if you uh reject it then you're going to be killed i said that right but anyway that um that to me just kind of 
open my mind up a little bit, not to get zeroed in on some of these. Um, all you have to do is just, I mean, I did, I Googled it, you know, put 666 in there and what all pops up? Oh, oh hey, you get all kinds of things, you know, this COVID vaccine was that mark of the beast. You got um, social security numbers, the barcodes, you know, this is stuff in the past and stuff coming up through. And um, I remember this new one now they can put uh, some kind of tattoo with tells you your medical records they can kind of get that imprinted in you it lasts for maybe eight or ten years and it's like well is that or isn't it? i don't know those things kind of just fell on the back side as we think and the, the back burner if you want as we think of the in the the main reason for that is is because of worship and we talked about worship here a few sundays ago and i'm not going to go into that but i i bring out that point of who are you worshiping and I don't, I didn't know how to put this down in words, but <clears throat> the part for me is, is that how close do you want to get to worshiping the beast? You would not go so close to an edge of something as to fall over. But how do we know where we are today? You would want to go totally the opposite way. And I throw that out as our conservative values are not a means for our salvation. That is not how we are saved. But that puts us as far away possible as worshiping anything related to the beast. I'm not sure if you're quite following along through there, but in my mind... And it's hard to know, but if I would want to violate in my personal convictions of telling my wife she can go cut her hair, she can dress, it looks exactly like the world, and when this beast comes along and is identifying who's worshiping what, you're going to have a hard time convincing the beast that you don't worship him. And it doesn't apply to any of you really here today. It applies to a lot of the people that we meet that want to have a foot in both places. And if you're worried about, not necessarily you here, but if you're worried about receiving the mark of the beast, then why don't you get as far away from it as possible? Not from the number itself, but from as far away possible as any worship to the beast. It just really comes close to home sometimes when we think of what we do. And what we're committed to doing in our lives and in our spiritual lives. And that's the first one. I didn't even get to it here. When we talk about in a war, my question to, for myself was, I can easily say, yeah, I'm in a war. I'm in the battle. But I'm simply just in the battle. I'm not involved in it. I'm just... I just got sucked into it, and I can't do anything about it. No. This is again from the other sermon at Milmont. We are to be soldiers in the war. You are not just in the war, brothers and sisters. You are to be a soldier in the war and be fighting in the war, just not this riding along like, well, we're in the war, we're in the war. You need to be fighting, and there's lots of verses about that. And I asked you these questions before, and that's part of how you know if, you know, if you're a soldier 
in the war, and I'll just repeat them. Are you part of the remnant of the seed of the woman? Do you keep the commandments of God, and do you have the testimony of Jesus Christ? If you say yes to these, you are the enemy of the dragon or Satan or the devil. And as fearful as that sounds, do we want to raise our hands and say, I want to make an enemy this morning. But that is what we're called to do, to make a stand and say, I will be the one who obeys the commandments of God, and I want to have the testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in my life, and I am willing to make an enemy. That causes fear in our lives because of the power that we see given here in the Word of God, the power that was given to all these. They can kill you. They can destroy you. They, the power that God gave to the beast is... You can't do anything about it. That brings about fear. But there's one thing that you must remember. And it needs to be grounded in your minds. As my brother told me one time, he said, How close to equal are God and Satan? And when you think of equal, you think of a seesaw. One's either way high, one's way low. You think of how comparisons we understand compare we all compare we know how close do you think God and Satan are it's a theological question if you want to say and as fearful minds we tend to put God and Satan they're kind of tit for tat you know they're they're close that is wrong thinking Satan wants you to think that today on God's word that we have you can study all of it it is, like my brother told me, he said, it's a comparison of an ant and an elephant. And I don't know if he just picked those out or if that's the saying from back a while, but do you think there's any chance that an ant can overcome and win against an elephant? Is there any chance that Satan would be able to win against God? No. Then let's remember that that is so far apart that it gives us hope and strength and it makes God all the much greater and Satan all the less powerful. We must remember that. Just a couple of things about the mark yet. Um, and I think that happens quite a bit. Um, it might be marked for sure by a 666. But I ask myself the question, um, and it's maybe a little bit different way, but as far as, you know, thinking how that mark could come about, do you think that the Jews in the days of Adolf Hitler, do you think they were marked? I think they were. There was no number or, like, definite but it was the setting and the culture they were in that they knew the Jews, if you were this, this, and this, I mean, some of them got away from it. But they were, they were marked. And I think, I think that's a little bit the way it's going to be. Um, and as fearful as it sounds, and I didn't even get the other part, is, is that God sealed us and put his stamp of approval, I think it is, the, the sealing in our foreheads, like he's done that now already. 
Like we're we're sealed, we're his. And if I know it's a little flipped around, but it's like we're marked. I I want to be marked in society, and, and I hope I am. That like this is who it is. That happens. We're marked even way before this six 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 comes around. And I hope that you all can uh, continue on in that. And you can encourage me in that. That we want to be marked in our society. They're ones that serve God. They're the ones and your your people you relate to. Oh, they don't smoke. They don't swear. They, they got you marked already. They know who you are. And are we following through with it? Are we true to that? Uh, just recapping here a little bit on the mark. I believe the mark is about worship because they know who you're worshiping. And whether the mark is literal or figurative, some people could, uh, you know, say that this here actually isn't going to be that you physically get something. It could be a mental thing. It could be a, um, there's different ideas about that. But whether it is literal or figurative, I see it as a way of bringing the people to a point of decision about who they will worship and who they will commit their lives to. Because taking the mark is to admit that you worship the beast. That's, that's my take on it. And so I wasn't really quite sure how to end that um, sermon on the mark of the beast. seems a little negative, but I don't think it has to. And just to recap, if you, not to recap, put it in my mind, the, um, and studying the Greek brought this out. If anybody ever challenges you that it's, it's three sixes in a row, that's not how it's written. So if you, and it's in some ways, technically you could be improper to say six, six, six. That, that's not quite the right way to look at it. The scripture talks about it. It's 666. And that comes through in the Greek. That comes through how it was written in here. And I think we need to remember that when some things come along and they say it's 6 6 6. That's just three sixes in a row. We need to be watching out for the last verse here in 18 of chapter, th- verse 18 says, For it is the number of a man. And his number is six hundred, three score, and six. And so that's what we know to have wisdom. And may God give us wisdom. It says here is wisdom. Wisdom we talked about this morning. It's given there. We are able to take it. Thanks for your attention. Let's stand for the uh, have fellowship meal today. We're going to remember the noon meal and also the um, 